questions in mind and when we do move to the Q&A, uh, formulate your questions properly as well so that you can ask them properly and save time. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi hamdu shakirin wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad Tibbil qulubi wa dawaiha wa nuril absari wa diyaiha wa afiyatil abdani wa shifaiha Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammad Kullama dhakraka dhakiruna wa ghafala an dhikrika ghafilun a few things to cover inshallah today with re regard to this important subject pertinent subject very important in our worldly and religious lives literacy in an age of illiteracy now why would we say today is an age of illiteracy when according to censuses uh, 99 or 100 percent of people within the uk are supposedly literate are able to read and write of course these statistics are flawed because there are people even if they go through the education system they are still unable to read not because of some disability but because of not acquiring a skill that should be inculcated within their young minds from a young age into their adulthood an important skill that we can never undermine even for people who are termed in in today's day and age as being working class what is referred to as working class meaning their social status in terms of income postcode these type of things they are bracketed as being working class and therefore some people deem them not being able to read or having access to literature which is untrue from our Islamic tradition because in our Islamic tradition even the likes of Imam Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali he was an orphan from being an orphan he became Imam Al-Ghazali likewise Imam Al-Bukhari Muhammad bin Ismail Al-Bukhari his father died when he was a young child yet he became Imam Al-Bukhari so in terms of income bracket there is no association of income with literacy from an Islamic perspective the first verse of Al-Quran Al-Kareem revealed the first five verses of course we know were from Surah to Iqra Surah to Iqra meaning recite and of course the recitation was in reference to the recitation of Al-Quran Al-Kareem and Al-Quran Al-Kareem laid down the foundations of literacy not only for Arabs but when the Al-Khilafat Al-Islamiyah expanded its geographical borders grew the people of former civilizations who were very educated so you had the Copts in Egypt that when Sayyidina Umar an, his armies entered into Egypt the libraries of Alexandria were drawn into the Islamic civilization. We know, for instance, that the translation of all Greek philosophy and Greek literature was commissioned by the Abbasi Caliphs. So the foundations of literacy for Muslims 
and Arabs and Persians and whoever fell within the borders of the Islamic Caliphate, those foundations were laid by Al-Qur'anul Kareem, the revelation of Al-Qur'anul Kareem. Imagine people that even if they were from a rural background, a rural background without access to the universities of Baghdad, without access to the universities of Fas, in that time, someone from a rural background will still have memorized Al-Qur'anul Kareem, an entire book, and be able to write out Al-Qur'anul Kareem and understand Al-Qur'anul Kareem. So for instance, in Mauritania, to this day, they still write on the loh that you have people in a rural area sitting down, being able to read and write, even though that they have no access to modern means of education. But the Quran has ensured that such people still remain literate. Now, literate, the word, firstly, when we refer to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as Al-Ummi, we do not translate this as illiterate. We cannot refer to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as being illiterate. Al-Ummi does not mean this. Anyone who does this, they make a mistake. The word Al-Ummi is from Um. Um is the source of something. So the mother is referred to as Um. The mother is referred to as Um. Likewise, Ummul Kitab, the mother of books. So someone who is Al-Ummi is referred to their mother, ascribed to their mother, because the way they came out of the womb of their mother, they were unable to read and write. They ascribe them to their mother and say Al-Ummi. But when this ascription is given to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it's a praise, Madh. Why? Because a person who was never taught by any other human being or by jinn or by anyone in creation was able to recite Al-Quranul Kareem and teach an entire nation, instruct an entire nation. So the word Al-Ummi for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is a praise and you can never utilize the word illiterate. The correct translation would be untaught, meaning untaught by anyone in creation, the one who was instructed and taught by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the teachings were conveyed by Sayyiduna Jibreel salam in many cases. So the Quran laid down the foundations of civilization in the sense that Ahlu Sufa, they would sit near the area which is known as Dukkatul Ghwath, today in Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi Al-Sharif, behind the blessed grave of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Firstly, you have uh, the area which was designated by Nuruddin Zangi, rahimullah, the elevated area. This was designated by Nuruddin Zangi, rahimullah. There is a similar area in Al-Jami Al-Umawi, in the Grand Umayyad Masjid, because of the type of architecture from those times. Behind that is Dukkatul Aghwath, and we know the companions, Ali Muridwan, would sit in this area, waiting for revelation of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, to write down the verses of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, memorize Al-Quran Al-Kareem, and we know Al-Quran Al-Kareem, Firstly, Al-Qur'an al-Kareem has dastur, has a constitution 
for an entire civilization. The proof of that is 1300 years of caliphate, a system of governance that was not a utopia. We do not claim it was a utopia, but yet it was a system of governance for that governed an entire region for 1300 years. What was the constitution for this system of governance for 1300 years? The constitution was Al-Qur'anul Kareem. Al-Qur'anul Kareem has verses that may contain 60 or so words and over 30 ahkam, 30 legal rulings, meaning that is the level of eloquence contained within Al-Qur'anul Kareem. Al-Qur'anul Kareem laid down the foundations of of algebra, so the laws of Ilmul Mirath, inheritance laws, which are contained in Surah Al-Nisa, those laws where the portions are mentioned, a suduth, which is one-sixth, a thuluth, a thuluthan, a third, two-thirds, a rub, a fourth, a thumun, an eighth, and then a nisf, a half, all of these portions led and inspired an entire civilization to form the laws of algebra. Even the word algebra is from algebra, to fix something. So uh, 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 we know Al-Khwarizmi was one of the f- founders of uh, algebra and he even wrote uh, a book, uh, Al-Khwarizmi, and we know that the word algorithm is from Al-Khwarizmi, from the word itself. But the point being that the foundation of literacy and the literacy that was found in the early generations of Muslims was inspired by Al-Quran al Karim, but also inspired by the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Abu Bakr Ahmad bin Thabit al-Baghdadi, Rahimallahu Ta'ala, who is known as Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, the writer of the work Tariq al-Baghdad, the history of Baghdad, and so many other, and we have the book here, Tariq al-Baghdad, so many other works in Ilm al-Hadith, they say his Majalis al-Hadith, al-Sharif, were filled. That And this is in the 5th century. So from the early students of Hadith, from the time of the companions, Ali Muridwan, up until the 5th century, they say the Masajid were filled with Majalis al-Hadith. What were these Majalis al-Hadith? A hadith scholar would sit down, sometimes from memory. So the likes of Imam Muhammad bin Ismail al-Bukhari, rahimullah, he would sit down with his memory, meaning his memory as an aid. He would give citations from the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, sitting down. And then what would people do? They would write down those ahadith, meaning writing and reading being inspired by al-Qur'an al-Karim and the hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Those majalis were so filled that they say at one time a scholar of hadith sneezed in the gathering. So he said, Alhamdulillah. And the entire crowd said, Yarhamukallah. The voice of the crowd or the sound of the crowd chanting Yarhamukallah reached the palace of the caliph and they, the caliph inquired what was that noise and he was informed that a scholar of hadith has sneezed meaning the 
gatherings of hadith were filled to that extent that people would fill the masajid with gatherings of hadith. So the masajid were are constructed for two purposes. Aside from other things, one is what dhikrullah, which is what the five daily prayers, recitation of the Quran, dhikrullah in, in general. And then the second is what learning. So the, the masajid are that place where people attend to learn. So the, they are inspired to learn the meanings of the Quran, the sunnah, the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu the books of al-fiqh. Not only majalisul hadith, even grammar, Arabic grammar, the foundations were laid down in that early period. So for instance, Abu al-Aswad al-Du'li rahimahullah, who was the companion of Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an, he laid down the foundations of a nahaw which is what Arabic grammar. And the famous story is that at one point he went home and he went on top of the roof with his wife and daughter and they were observing the stars. And the daughter wanted to praise the beauty of the stars and she said something incorrect in Arabic grammar. She made a mistake. So this worried him. So he went to Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an, informing Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an that the new generation is losing their eloquence and grammar. So Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an said, write down the principles of Arabic, of the spoken Arabic, meaning grammar. So he said, what shall I write? So he said, Kullu fa'ilin marfu'un. Write down kullu fa'ilin marfu'un. Meaning these are what uh, axioms of Arabic grammar, which became rules and regulations or al-qawaid maxims to govern Arabic grammar. Kullu fa'ilin marfu'un. Every subject is in the nominative state. So he wrote this down. Then he said, write down Every maf'ul is what? Mansub. So every object is what? In the accusative state. So he wrote this down. So Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an said, Unhu nahwa hadha. Unhu meaning go in this direction like this. Nahwa hadha meaning write down all the rules. And therefore, the science itself became known as ilmun nahw. Now, as I mentioned, algebra also, at one point, Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an was on the member of Al-Kufa. While giving a khutbah on the member of Kufa, a man entered the masjid and he, he mentioned Mas'alatul Mirath, a question on inheritance laws. He said, my mother and my father have passed away and my wife has um, a man has died and he has left a mother and a father and children daughters exceeding three and he has left what he has left uh, a wife and straight away Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an so the f- the fractions are what one sixth one sixth one eighth and a third. Yes, these are the four. 
So from these, Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an straight away calculated that the shares are from the number 27. Subhanallah. Without, meaning if that was any one of us, we would take out the calculator would, or a piece of paper. But the, these type of sciences were intuitive for the likes of Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So these type of responses regarding Islamic issues laid down the foundations of other aspects of Islamic civilization like determining the direction of the Qibla which involves geometry, uh, determining the month of Ramadan which involves astronomy, determining even the direction of the Qibla involves stargazing because when you are in the northern hemisphere you travel downwards towards the south towards the Kaaba of course six constellations are in the northern hemisphere six constellations in the southern hemisphere you travel towards the Kaaba there are certain stars that are in close proximity to Mecca al-Mukarramah so stargazing writing down the names of the stars even a rijl so rijl publishing a rijl is what a star named by the Arabs. Why did they even bother observing the stars? Because of what? Because of the religion of Islam. So, the direction of the Qibla, awqatu salah, for which spherical uh, geometry and spherical trigonometry were essential. And therefore they wrote books. Uh, today over a thousand manuscripts exist just on the subject of astronomy, trigonometry and geometry written in that time in order to preserve these things for ibadat, acts of worship, all inspired by Al-Quranul Kareem. So this was the age of literacy, literacy inspired by Al-Quranul Kareem, literacy inspired by the ahadith and the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is the purpose of having a library in the masjid, having durus in the masajid, having lessons being taught within the masajid in order to inspire literacy. This masjid from many years, nearly 20 years now, or over 20 years ago, was one of the focal points of where students of my age group would after having lessons with Al-Allama Rasul Bakh Saidi, they would come to this masjid to revise in the masjid hall. So at that time, the masjid hall at night time was quiet, meaning there was no public in the evening times, and they would sit in the masjid hall and revise. So, so many lessons of Nahaw Mir I have taught in that masjid hall. Lessons of Nahmir to dozens of students that have memorized those lessons because the masjid was the right environment for them to learn literacy. So literacy here means Arabic literacy. So they were learning Arabic grammar and becoming literate in what? In Arabic. But the masjid environment is the best environment for learning. Now going on to the subject of reading in an age of illiteracy, what is the illiteracy in today's day and age? The illiteracy today is not that people 
do not learn how to read, the illiteracy is that once they have acquired the skill of learning, they do not maintain reading and they are not inspired to continuously read. So what happens with, uh, again to use the the phrases of the Western class system, the middle class, is that they may read novels. So novels are a very common way of people acquiring a habit of reading, that they buy novels and they read. This is why when a book is published in, in the West, tens and thousands of copies are sold. Tens and thousands of copies are read. Many times they are novels, but also books of expertise, books of academia. Many hundreds of books are sold, thousands in some case, of academia also. How is this an age of illiteracy? The illiteracy is the fact that people who have acquired the skill of reading from school are still not inspired to expand and broaden their horizon of learning. So what they have learned in school is forgotten. And then when they enter the workplace, within the workplace, the system or the model of the workplace is to cre is to have robots that work within that routine nine to five to go home uh, to watch television in an age of literacy literacy or illiteracy meaning a paradoxical uh, world that we live in in the old times people would sit near fires and when the fire would burn an old man would tell them stories or someone who was able to read would read out something and that was their entertainment. So people who worked in the fields all day, they would farm in the fields when they would finish. Uh, firstly, they were in touch with nature. When they would come home, they would light a fire and some person would tell them stories. They would talk. There was converse, conversation, interaction amongst the people, familiarity, community. But in the time of technology, there is a lack of familiarity. For instance, when people sit on the bus you will observe that everyone is observing not a book, not reading a book. They will be on uh, the new technology which is known as the smartphone. So they sit on the smartphone, people do not interact and the smartphone has its uses, that meaning benefits, in the sense that a person can acquire news, uh, information, they can check information but a problem with that is when a person does a quick Google check they may think that they have acquired the correct facts but they have not gained the expertise. It's like someone needing information on how to fix a car. They quickly check on Google but the difference between that person who does a quick check and an a mechanic who works in a garage with cars day in day out there is a disparity a world of difference between the two similarly a doctor a person can check up a, a particular disease on google but the way a doctor will know the symptom through his expertise it is not the same so there while there are benefits there are people who think that they may become experts by doing a quick check on google the difference between a lawyer, a person, a solicitor who works day in, day out with the law, 
has his expertise in the courts and someone doing a quick Google check regarding the law. So this is a type of illiteracy. Secondly, social media, which has in, in, the, in the past two decades really changed the mindset of not only the new generation, the old generation, people who are always on social media, they are unable to concentrate for long hours in order to read a book. So they cannot read a book because they concentrate on Facebook, even though they do not realize the amount of Facebook posts they may read or Instagram posts they may read. They do not realize that in that time they would have completed a book. The obsession with which some people may write on the internet, they would have completed an entire book, writing out an entire book. They do not realize that they have the skill, but they are misusing the skill, entertaining social media trolls. And this is how Facebook is designed. So the designers of Facebook, this is why they even have the, the sound, the ping sound, in order to give you an addiction to having a back and forth on social media. And unfortunately, when this enters the Islamic domain, when uh, within the Islamic domain, where everyone becomes an expert on Islam on the internet, on Facebook. So people will give a fatwa and the person gives a counter fatwa, a takfir, and a counter takfir, a tabdi' and a counter tabdi', a tafsiq, counter tafsiq, declaring Muslims disbelievers, innovators, fusaq, transgressors, meaning extremes of all natures. So the internet is one of the main reasons as to why people have lost concentration in reading. So this is why as a teacher when I communicate with younger students, they say to me, we cannot concentrate when we read a book. Why? Because they have not accustomed their brains, their minds to read. They have dopamine, a dopamine rush from entertainment on the internet. So other systems of entertainment, uh, television is old. Of course, in the 80s and the 90s, television was the main distraction and uh, video films. And then from the 2000s, uh, the internet and the smartphone and then social media. And now, in the next decade, we will be facing another challenge, which is this uh, metaverse, a virtual world where we will have younger people, and not only younger people, people older than the younger generation, sitting all day, observing a virtual moon. So when Ramadan comes, they'll observe the crescent in, in the virtual world. Already you have As-Sudais, the Imam of the Haram in Mecca, kissing a virtual black stone. So this is a, a challenge for the future that we will have that where in the masjid, we may be sitting in the masjid all day, waiting for students, waiting for people to attend the library, but they are sitting in the comfort of their own homes in a virtual world, buying Gamgul Sharif masjid, buying the plot in the virtual world, <laughs> sitting in the virtual library, reading virtual books. So this, this is the type of the Jalik 
times that are approaching uh, and creeping up upon us. Of course, sometimes, uh, in previous times, people would say poverty is one of the main reasons why people do not read. But sometimes affluence can be a distraction from reading also. In reality, it's on the person himself or herself to acquire the habit of what? Of reading. So what? So this is what I mean by a time of illiteracy. That someone may have acquired the skill of reading and writing. By the way, reading and writing is a skill acquired in a few months. Within a few months, a person can read and write. Within a few months after instruction. But then how do we go from having the skill of reading and writing, but now going into application in terms of becoming a reader who benefits from what he reads. Many people ask the question that, am I prohibited from reading novels? And I tell them no. It's absolutely permitted for people to read novels and literature. So they become surprised. How can we read novels and literature? Why are you not guiding us to Islamic literature? Firstly, who said I negated reading Islamic literature? But reading in the broad sense, how does a person acquire the habit of reading? Firstly, they must read what they are interested in. So I can recommend a book, for instance, Hadith literature books, and someone acquires a book on Hadith literature. They read a few pages, they find the, the words difficult, technical terms, jargon, what we refer to as istalahat for professionals of that field. And the mind switches off because this is not the field of the person. So by recommending Islamic books, there are people whose minds may switch off because they have not acquired the habit of reading in their youth and therefore they find concentrating difficult. So how do you acquire the the concentration that is needed in reading? The response is that you start with books that interest you. You start with subjects that interest you. So every year, thousands of books are released in the English language. Thousands. And this adds up to the British Library catalog, a long extended catalog, and you will have so many topics to choose from. So firstly, a person should start with subjects that interest them. For instance, some people find autobiographies interesting. Some people find biographies of, of people interesting. Does it mean the biography of someone you who is necessarily religious? The answer is no. You may even read the bio autobiography of Nelson Mandela, for instance, if he interests you. Some people uh, may be interested in the autobiography of another individual. But you start with an autobiography, if that interests you, or a biography of someone, or a field of expertise that interests you. Secondly, the books that you select, it is not necessary that the size of the book is humongous, meaning a thick book. It's not necessary. You can start with small books. But if you do decide to choose a book 
uh, which is voluminous or 500 pages long, then you pace yourself. The best type of book is the type of book that you immerse your mind, your mind automatically is immersed. Sometimes some people who never read, they discover a book that interests them to such a degree that they will sit for hours just reading that book until they finish. A life-changing book. There are some books that are life-changing books. It happens to people. They are in a situation, some people in prison, they go to the prison library, they come across a book which then interests them and then they become absorbed by the book, uh, absorbed into the book. They immerse themselves into the book and they read and concentrate but then afterwards, they may have read this particular book, but they may attempt to read other books and they are unable to do so. Why? Because the interest is not in the mind. So you need to first select those books which interest you, the subjects that interest you. You may never read certain books simply because they do not interest you. Pacing yourself means that you have a minimum of pages that you read on a daily basis. This does not mean that you limit yourself to those number of pages. Generally, I tell people to start with 12 pages. So 12 pages a day. If they started with 12 pages a day, remember consistency is the key to all success. Even in learning, consistency is the key. So you may do something small on a daily basis or something you deem as being small, but because you are consistent, it, uh, the, the trickle of water on a daily basis adds up. So there's a famous anecdote which was mentioned to me in the year 1998 by my teacher. He mentioned the scholar that there was an alim from the previous times who reached the age of 40 and had not studied. So he was not an alim at the time. All his life, he herded goats. He, was, he herded goats. One day it rained. So when it rained, he took refuge under a tree with his flock of goats. One of the goats, the hoof of the goat, was stuck in mud. So he removed the hoof and there was a groove in the ground. From the drops on the branch of the tree, the rain started to pour into the groove. Eventually, the groove became a pool of water. From a pool of water, a huge body of water. This made the shepherd think that if every day I acquired a drop of water, a drop of knowledge on a daily basis, today I would have acquired a mass of knowledge, meaning the 40 years of my life. So he went to seek knowledge and uh, it's not just an anecdote it's it's a true story he mentioned the name of the alim which i forget now but he started studying at the age of 40 and he acquired knowledge until he became an alim of the religion the deen of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so consistency is the key consistency in reading so on a daily basis you firstly you acquire a book that interests you Secondly, you are consistent on reading a minimum number of pages. Even though I may mention 12 pages, it could be 25, it could be 50. 
if the book really interests you, you will have a minimum of 50 pages on a daily basis. Like this, you will, you will complete a book within a few days or a week. If the book is 200 pages, definitely within a week. Remember, some technical books will be more difficult to read. So if you acquire a book on Ilmul Kalam, theology, the technical terminology may slow down your reading because you need to understand what you are reading. But if the book is easy, then the person will pace himself quicker through the book until he reaches the end. It's Finishing a book always leaves a feeling of what? Of achievement. When you finish a book, you have a feeling of achievement. That feeling of achievement encourages a person to read more books. Additionally, acquisition of the habit of reading on a daily basis gives a person the natural dopamine rush that they need, as opposed to acquiring dopamine from television, internet, gossip, forums, wasting time on uh, Facebook, social media. Instead of trolling, a person will have his dopamine rush from the book that he reads. Remember, a book imparts more than any other form of knowledge with the acceptance of classes. So classes which entail suhbah, uh, accompanying ulama, that is the first level of knowledge. This is why they say, مَنْ أَخَذَ الْعِلْمَ مِنَ الْكُتُبِ فَعِلْمُهُ عِنْدَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ غَيْرُ مُعْتَبِرِ That whoever takes his knowledge solely from books, then his knowledge according to the people, people of knowledge is not reliable. Why? Because the experts will train him how to read a category, a, a science like Ilmul Kalam theology. You may read a book, but what you acquire from a teacher who may have taught those books for 40 years is he will give you the shortcut and a quick explanation for those things which if you attempt to resolve yourself with your mind alone, uh, you will uh, spend hours and hours or days or weeks or months attempting to resolve that problem, which an expert can transmit to you within a few minutes. وَمَنْ أَخَذَ الْعِلْمَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ مُشَافَهَةً فَعِلْمُهُ عِنْدَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ مُعْتَبَرِ Whoever takes his knowledge from the people of knowledge, مُشَافَهَةً Meaning facing them and meeting them, then his knowledge, according to the people of knowledge, is reliable. So fiqh is an example of the jurisprudence, giving fatwa, the methodology. But with a reading, a person acquires the natural relaxation of the mind, the natural pleasure of the mind from becoming a reader uh, with a regular habit, as something which non-readers can never appreciate. So sometimes a person may be an addicting, uh, addictive, uh, have an addictive nature of reading, but a non-reader will not be able to relate to that nature of that person because they are not reading themselves. They do not understand what occurs in the mind what chemicals are being released in the mind. There are natural chemicals that are released when a person acquires new knowledge. Some of you may have felt this when you acquired new knowledge, it brings a, a feeling 
uh, of uh, relaxation, uh, an uplifting feeling. This is the feeling acquired from reading good literature, good books. So once you become a regular reader, you will always acquire this and the addictions, the bad addictions will fall to the side. A person eventually will will become addicted to reading because reading imparts sometimes more experience than people in real life. For instance, if you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, that's what 39 years of his life placed between two covers. And a book that he wrote from his heart, you read that, it's an inspiring book, it's in, it has inspired many thousands. Similarly, so many other books, when you read them, a person is giving you sometimes in autobiographies, they are giving you their life experience. That autobiography does not necessarily have to be a Muslim. It can be a non-Muslim. You read the autobiography of an inspiring individual, irrelevant to whether they were Muslims or non-Muslims, in the sense that they inspire you in other aspects of our worldly life. Inspiring individuals. They give you their experience within two covers. Likewise, books of experts in their fields. Reading the works of people who are experts in their fields, like Noam Chomsky, irrelevant to our disagreements on certain things, a, a person who is well-read on political science, the geopolitics of the world, a person reads his book and benefits and appreciates the experience of a man who has reached well over 90 years old, living in this world, imparting his experience of geopolitics, of the political nature of the world. Similarly, other modern writers and classical writers, even novels, classical novels, will impart to you a knowledge of a, uh, of a previous age. So if you read Shakespeare, when you read Shakespeare, the M Merchant of Venice, or you read Macbeth, nearly all of us read Macbeth in school, or Hamlet. These books contain historical information. They contain lessons. Uh, the stories have lessons within them. They impart language. So it's important never to deprecate literature. In fact, when I was uh, a child, my father would instruct me never to place any book on the floor. So at one point, I said to him, it's just a non-Muslim book, it's just a novel. He said it's still, it still contains language and it still contains knowledge. But my father cannot read and write to the level of uh, other people. But he appreciated what? Knowledge. Appreciated knowledge. In fact, he purchased a, an encyclopedia, Virtues Encyclopedia. Virtues Encyclopedia for £100 for me for all of his siblings to utilize, which he would not have realized that at a later time that would inspire the habit of reading. So having uh, never deprecate any books, of course, uh, with the exception being books that insult Al-Islam or the Messenger of Allah وسلم, because that's not uh, knowledge. That's uh, similar to the, the poets of Jahiliyyah who would insult the Qur'an and so what do we do that in that case we read the books of the ulama of Islam who write 
in the defense of Islam and respond to such type of claims. But in the broader literature, neutral literature, we Muslims should acquire knowledge of classical literature, whether English literature, Urdu literature, Arabic literature, there is so much to read in all traditions, all cultures. So even uh, the the English literature, if you are interested in all classical books, a person should read them. There is no prohibition. So when you acquire this habit of reading on a daily basis, firstly, you have selected books that you are interested in. So your mind should not switch off because you are reading what? Books that interest you. Some of you may uh, select, uh, for instance, Agatha Christie's novels on murder mysteries. This is fine. Why? Because what you are doing is you are training your mind to read, to concentrate. You are disassociating your mind from what? From being distracted by social media, distracted by in the internet. So similarly, you are training the mind to concentrate with an, a minimum number of pages to read on a daily basis. Another habit that should be acquired when reading is that when you read, you come across words that you are not familiar with. So you can underline those words with pencil and then return back to those words and write down the words, list all the words. So you read, for instance, you read 50 pages. Within those 50 pages, there will be so many words that you may not know. You write down those words. Then what do you do? You check all those words in a dictionary, the meanings. You also check the pronunciation of the words. So this is where the benefit of Google comes in. You go on Google, you check British pronunciation. There are so many words that we will not know. And because we do not utilize those words in conversation, we may not know how to pronounce those words. So for instance, even pronunciation, someone may say pronunciation or uh, for instance, the word facade, F-A-C-A-D-E, a person may re reading this word has never utilized the word. And when he has heard the word, he ignored the usage of the word. He may say facade, reading the word facade, but the word is facade. So how do you avoid doing this? You check the pronunciation on Google, but you check British pronunciation if you are in america you check american pronunciation so this is how you increase your vocabulary it's not essential to utilize these words in conversation because then this is ostentation so for instance a person uh, his vocabulary he has a, a very high standard of vocabulary but he goes to the masjid and he's communicating with people, simple folk, meaning simple folk in the sense they do not understand these words and he utilizes these words, then he is what? Falling into ostentation. It's essential to utilize these words when necessary. So like this, you increase your vocabulary and an increase of vocabulary leads to an increase of thinking. Because when you want to express yourself or articulate something, the, the number of words that you have 
you will be more descriptive and be able to express your thoughts in a cogent and coherent manner that people are able to understand what you are attempting to relay or to uh, to impart to them so it's essential to increase our vocabulary uh, never overestimate your abilities uh, in terms of vocabulary thinking that you have su- a sufficient amount of vocabulary no at all times language is increasing so our knowledge of language should also increase and this is what is alluded to in 1984 in the book 1984 uh, with regard to language when they burn dictionaries and they write new dictionaries why do they do this the government the, the in george orwell's orwellian uh, 1984 why are they burning dictionaries why are they bur- why are they writing new words to decrease thinking so if you decrease vocabulary you decrease thinking if you increase vocabulary you increase thinking you you have words to express different feelings this is why young children uh, it's good to teach them to express how they feel so if a 2 year old says i feel angry he's expressing what he feels he says i am hungry i am worried <coughs> he can only do this with vocabulary similarly another adult may want to express himself now what happens if they cannot express themselves vocally then they will express themselves through other means so no wonder on eid day on alam rock road on coventry road on ladypool road that's people attempting to express themselves because they cannot do so through vocabulary so it's essential to increase vocabulary so we can express ourselves someone dies we feel grief we feel sorrow but we cannot express that because we do not know the right words to say so what do we do we wail but if we had the right words to say i feel grief i feel sorrow i feel intense expression it's essential to increase vocabulary so as you will keep reading some words may not stick but as you increase your reading when you come across those words in reading you will be familiarize yourself with with those terms uh similarly when you read in a particular field how do you start reading in a particular field so we enter now the domain of academia education islamic and non islamic education you start with the primers the basic books are on that subject so even in english if you go to waterstones and now with uh, technology with the kindle even bookstores are uh, going out of business because people acquire digital copies of books but if you acquire digital copies or uh, hard copies of it, of books you will notice that they have sometimes some publishers have a series of books on ha- uh, uh, the famous ones are what for dummies for dummies so uh, the dummies guide to the dummies guide to similarly you have other smaller works you have uh, some publishers publishing smaller works uh, ha- uh, the uh, uh, an introduction to so an introduction to philosophy 
an introduction to sociology, an introduction to uh, English literature, an introduction to these are good books to acquire, and they're small. When you now you want to gain knowledge in a particular field, you gain the basic primer in that field. You acquire the basic primer. When you acquire the basic primer, you read through the basic primer. You underline all the jargon, the technical terms, what we refer to as istalahat, and you memorize the istalahat. You memorize the technical terms. Once you have memorized the technical terms, you increase your reading of that subject. You can sometimes refer to the bibliography within the first primer. Within the bibliography, you'll find a guide, a, a guidelines of what further reading to carry out. One of the best ways of reading is interaction. So places like this library, places like the masjid, when you meet Islamic scholars, they are experts in their fields. Similarly, you meet your professor at university. He's an expert in his field. So like I said, you take your knowledge from the mouths of men because they will impart experience to you in a short amount of time. They will direct you. So someone who reads on economy, you may want to understand the economic system. We may have simple questions regarding the monetary system. How does money work? Why do we not just print out money? Meaning a simple uh, people will say a country can simply just print out money and increase uh, their economic uh, GDP. But the answer, as you would know, is not as simple as that. We would need to know how the economy works. So for that, you acquire a book on the economy. And then you talk to people who work in the economic field. They will guide you to read. Uh, people who are left-leaning, they will guide you to lefty books. People who are right-leaning, they will guide you to right books. But of course, we're Muslims, we have our own Islamic economic system, but we read those books nevertheless. We benefit and acquire knowledge. We increase our knowledge of the world. Similarly, with any field of interest you may have, whether Islamic or non-Islamic, you start with the primers, you check the bibliographies, and you go to the experts in those fields. If you have no access, then go out your way to access them, or you can even check, then the internet has its uses. You can check the internet also and check which books are uh, are the right books to read in that particular field. So th this is done even in your courses in university or college or wherever you may study. You acquire the basic primers. In the Islamic field, it is similar. So if someone wanted to excel in Ilmul Balagha, which is Arabic rhetoric, he can acquire now even English books. So uh, our local sheikh, a sheikh Zain Hood, who keeps a low profile, but has written so many beneficial works, uh, has written a work on Ilmul Balagha, on rhetoric. So you acquire this basic primer. You go, this is for the students in Madaris. You read through the book. You write down all the mustalahat, the technical jargon. You memorize the jargon. You go and converse with students who are advanced, with ulama, you'll gain free experience. The experience is being given to you. So this is how you increase your depth of knowledge through reading in a particular field, whatever field may interest you. 
of course, some people may not want to excel in every field, but they have their own particular fields of interest. So the, uh, being, it's like having a restaurant that serves one dish, but serves it good. Yes, if you attempt to serve too many different dishes, but you're not good at making one dish, then you will suffer in all, uh, your restaurant will fail in all the other dishes. Similarly, if you have a few, uh, 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 an expertise, you advance yourself in that expertise, you may read on other subjects also. So this is how we become habitual readers. Eventually, over the, the weeks and the, the months, some of you may even start reading a book a day. A book a day. There are people who read one book on a, a day. Non-Muslims and Muslims, they can read a book a day or a book every few days or a book a week. The minimum should be a book a week. But this is what I refer to as power reading. Power reading is sitting for long hours and actually going through a book. Even uh, while living uh, daily lives, carrying out your daily chores, your, your domestic chores, doing your duties, even during that, you can still read very quickly. There are methods of reading books and completing books very quickly. Uh, some people prefer hard copies. Most people prefer hard copies. You can carry the book around with you and whenever you find free time, you concentrate and you read a few pages and then if you are distracted, you close the book on the bookmark and you carry on uh, carrying, uh, carry on with your uh, daily duties. This is how people become habitual readers and what we need in our community now more than ever. Of course, in the past, there were people who could not read and write, but their standard of lifestyle and adab, manners, and akhlaq were higher, of a higher standard than those who can read and write today. In our community, we've had people who came from uh, Pakistan, Kashmir, India, Bangladesh, from those societies being raised pre-partition in more simple times, but they were raised with what? Adab and akhlaq, manners, and what else? Usul, principles of life. Principles of life. That was for, for people who came from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh in those times, but also non-Muslims in this country. Even non-Muslims who had adab and akhlaq, like my grandfather mentions, mentioned when he came in the early 1950s, he was in Keithley looking for a job. And a young boy, he saw my granddad and he said, I know a teacher, a school teacher who speaks your language. So he took my grandfather to his school. My grandfather met the teacher, the teacher knew Urdu. He was a colonel in the army in India. And my grandfather was also a part of the army. So they conversed and he said, I found a job for you. Go to this factory with this 
letter and say to them, I sent you. So my grandfather went to the factory. He gave a letter. They said, on his recommendation, we employ you. Now look at these simple akhlaq, good manners of the English people at that time. And this is what, when uh, the founder of Central Masjid, Haji, Haji Zaman, there's a video of Haji Zaman, when he's asked regarding the rise of the right uh, the, the, the rise of the right in the 1970s in England, in England. He says the good English have gone because he came here in the 1930s. Well, to read after going through all this process, does it mean you'll become a good human being? The answer is no. This is where a few things come into this. Al-Imam Sufyan Athawri ta'ala said, before we acquired knowledge, we acquired akhlaq and adab. Before we acquired knowledge, we acquired akhlaq and adab, manners, and we increased our ibadah. This is one. Number two, having good company. Be with good people. Number three, never to be arrogant. Even if Allah has given us abilities, never to deprecate. Those who have not been given those abilities. So if you have even memorized the entire English dictionary, when you meet someone who hasn't, never to denigrate that individual. Never to look down upon them. Even if someone has acquired so much knowledge, they can never look down on other fellow human beings. The purpose of knowledge is to guide those who are misguided. The purpose of knowledge is to instruct those who are uh, misguided or those who have lost their way or those who are unfamiliar or those who are jahil. Uh, meaning just remember the story of the Bedouin who entered the Masjid, Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi Al-Sharif and he urinated in the Masjid and how the Prophet ﷺ forbade the companions from stopping him because while he was passing water, they would have harmed him and increased the impurity in the masjid. So he said, let him finish and then summoned him and then instructed him saying the masjid was not created for this. The masjid is a place of worship. Instructed the ignorant man. So the purpose of knowledge is to instruct those who do not know. The purpose of reading and becoming good readers is to open the portals of our mind in order that we do not have a narrow outlook on the world, a myopic outlook on the world, that we open our scope of thinking within within, or with the light of Islam, with, with the light of Islam, and to acquire uh, those good akhlaq and adab. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to become readers. And remember the month of, we are in Rajab now, Next month is Sha'ban. When the month of Sha'ban would would approach, a Salafu Salihun would close all their books except the Quran. They would increase the recitation of the Quran. So for Sha'ban and Ramadan, uh, we should increase our recitation of Al Quran Al Karim. They would also extract their zakat from their wealth and distribute the zakat in Sha'ban. Why? So the poor people have food to have suhoor and iftar. So the month of Rajab is here, a blessed month. 
next month is the month of Sha'aban. Uh, inshallah, we should increase our recitation of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, our understanding of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. And we ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala to make this library a success, as well as the masjid and whatever is planned for the masjid to be a center of learning, inshallah. Like all the uh, masajid within Birmingham, uh, in Lozell's Road, we've started Darsin Nizami. Darsin Nizami has started on the weekends in Lozell's Road. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make that a success. In our own masjid in South Birmingham Central, uh, masjid known as SBC Masjid on College Road, there are Darsin Nizami classes. And the activities of this masjid Kumgul Sharif, that the Darus that have started Al Adabul Mufrad of Al Imam Bukhari, meaning a book which is on manners. So Molana Anis has selected a book on manners, inshallah, a book beneficial. And similarly, Molana Mubashir, that these two, they continue the work in this masjid. And they, the purpose of the masjid is to make the masjid Mu'ammar, meaning what filled with people, with Vikrullah and with learning so this masjid inshallah is inspired with the activities in the other masajid but those masajid which do not have those activities may this masjid also inspire those as well the surrounding masajid inshallah that this city the city of birmingham becomes a role model for muslims in the western hemisphere or in the english speak anglophone muslims that the city has the potential to be a model city in terms of the number of masajid we have and the number of durus that we potentially can have and the number of teachers we have. In that regard, Gamgul Sharif plays a major role in becoming a model masjid. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finish all uh, the problems, any problems internal or external. Also, aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa atubu ilayh. So when you're reading, how do you distinguish between useful information and uh, non-useful information? And then after that, how do you retain that information in your memory? So what to do in that regard is firstly, whatever you find beneficial, you'll know intuitively yourself. You make notes in the inside cover. So, for instance, you write on page 67, you write page 67 and you write the point that you found beneficial in pen. You write that in the inside cover in pen. Why? Because later when you refer back to the book, you'll have a list of all the useful information that you need to refer back to or you may have needed uh, in the future. So, uh, like that, that information will remain. How you discern useful and non-useful, you will know that yourself. I mean, this is useful for me, depending on what purpose you're reading the book for. So, for instance, if you're reading the book for, uh, let's say, a lecture on, I'm going to give a lecture on the life of Imam Bukhari. I read a book on Imam Bukhari and I make notes of all the points that I want to mention in the lecture. So that's beneficial for me in that regard. But if I'm reading the same book for a dars, on Sahil Bukhari, I will highlight different points, more technical points. So this varies from the purpose of reading the book.
Second, how can we acquire a good memory? So if we read something, we can remember later. So with that, what you do is you note taking while reading. So sometimes what what I would do sometimes, very rarely, if I had to read a book that's six, seven hundred pages, after reading the book, I summarize the book. So I write out the summary of the entire book. So there was a book I read on Al-Qatu uh, Wazan, which is certainty and near certainty, an Arabic book. I borrowed the book from someone, so I didn't have the copy. But I read the book and then I summarized the book and gave him the book back. So I don't need the book because I've summarized the entire book. So then you refer back to the summary and you repeat the summary to yourself, you'll memorize the contents of the book. How many number of books should a person read any one time? So if, uh, again, if you lose concentration on a particular book, you can read multiple books at one time. There's nothing wrong with that. So currently, uh, I may be reading at least 30 books simultaneously. So when I finish one, I'll replace it with another, or not replace it, just finish some of the other ones. It's not necessary that you read one book cover to cover and then move on to the next. That could be tiring yourself for no reason. You only do that with a book that you find easy, easy to read. So you finish the book. But if you find it hard, then you can read multiple books at one time. As long as you continuously read them. You mentioned that the best way of learning is face to face. I see that this has been recorded. What's the difference between watching it on YouTube or face to face? Would you say there's a lot of difference or a little bit of difference? A lot of difference. So recently we started classes and so many students who applied, they said, can we have these classes online? And I said, no, you must attend the masjid. The reason being, Firstly, you value the knowledge. So if people watch the recording, they receive the same type of information, but they don't value the knowledge. That's one. Number two, there's more barakah. So from Sparkbrook, I would walk to Fazani Rasul on Druze Lane. So from Sparkbrook to Druze Lane is what? About five miles. And then walk back on a daily basis that made me what appreciate the knowledge but it also gave me the value of the knowledge but the knowledge then was given baraka blessings so now you may have students they may study the same thing but there's lack of baraka in their knowledge because they didn't value the knowledge so the value the lack of valuing that knowledge there's no barakah in their learning. So that's another thing. That firstly, you value the knowledge. Secondly, there's barakah in your learning. Barakah means what? That you may have less, but there's uh, more out, outcome of that knowledge. But then uh, thirdly, when you meet someone face to face, there are other spiritual things like someone reading hadith. He breathes the same air as you. You breathe the same air. He did that with his teacher all the way back to the Prophet So there are other considerations as well. People online, what they do, 
watching the video, they let the video play, they may do something else, eat something while they're watching the video, watch the video for entertainment. Like today's lecture was on reading, and we have, even though the attendees were limited, but a limited number of people wanted to attend in the first place. But if it was a, uh, an entertainment topic, like a debate, or something that entertains the public, uh, they would turn out in their droves. So this is also one of the harms of uh, the entertainment industry on on YouTube. If, you, if you've got a group of people that are interested in learning, that's shown some sort of nows towards learning, would you say you focus them on, on self-development, on books of mastery, for example? how to learn, how to understand oneself. Yes, so, again, uh, we, as I mentioned, the, the old ulama would say what you're expressing in their old style by saying we learned akhlaq and adab. But what is akhlaq and adab? What you mentioned, mastering the self. Additionally, a person can benefit from books like Ihya al-Umuddin, but also Self-help books, modern self-help books are also very useful. So those are recommended for students of knowledge to read books. Even something like Sun Tzu's Art of War is beneficial. So uh, self-improvement is essential while learning, especially in the first year. Of Darsin Nizami in the first year, it's essential. Would you complement that with audio books? Yes, so there's some people who... Uh, utilize audiobooks I would highly recommend audiobooks and also the Kindle black and white is recommended Kindle black and white is good so are audiobooks so you you go for your daily walk you place your he headphones and you walk and you listen it's absolutely fine because listening is a skill also concentrating on the listening We stop there. Jazallahu anna Sayyidina Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallama ma huwa ahluh. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.